Hello everyone, I'm McGann and welcome to the next segment of There I Read It, where I'm going over the Harry Potter books chapter by chapter for the first time in my life. And today I'm covering book two, chapter seven, which is entitled Mudbloods and Murmurs. And this is where we're starting Quidditch practice early for the Gryffindor team, but those snaky snaky Slytherins have to show up and make everything more difficult. So let me just uh, slip on my glasses because I ran out of contacts and uh, I'll go over my notes. Okay, so apparently Hedwig is still salty about that bumpy car ride and she and Harry are not really on great terms yet. And Ron's wand is still super broken, so much so that when he tried to use it in class, it ended up flying off and hitting Professor Flitwick right between the eyes and giving him a huge green boil. Then it's finally the weekend, Harry is so thankful to get to relax, and Oliver Wood ends up waking Harry up at dawn saying, guess what, I came up with some new Quidditch training, let's go do it! Yay! And Colin Creevy is still around. He is showing up everywhere that Harry is, and he's he's like a super fanboy. He just loves Harry, and he's so excited to be around him and to learn everything he can from him. And they actually use Colin as a way to seamlessly reintroduce, like, what Quidditch is and what the rules are. It was a very clever way to do it, because Colin, being a first year and being from, you know, the normal world, like Harry was, he has no clue what's going on. So when he's telling Harry that he doesn't really understand the rules for Quidditch, Harry starts explaining them to him. And it's a really smart way to recover everything by bringing in this outsider who knows nothing, because then all this stuff can get explained without it just seeming like, oh, we're retelling this for the benefit of the reader and it's kind of lazy writing. But Colin being in Harry's position from last year, I mean, it really makes it much more of a smooth transition to re-explain so many things. And of course, it's all things that people who read the first book know, but you know, maybe you didn't read it, or maybe it's been a few years and you're kind of fuzzy on things. So I, I do prefer this kind of much better than the Tolkien style, where he's just like, hey, remember that thing I said like 7,000 pages ago? It's relevant again. But yeah, I don't know whether you love or hate J.K. Rowling. I mean, she does have a very nice touch with her writing style. And I was also kind of wondering here while reading this chapter, are there no substitute seekers or, you know, substitutes for any of the positions? Most sports teams, I guess, at least in America, I can't really speak for European sports teams, but we tend to have like a third to half of the team sitting on the bench at any one time so that you can substitute people. I guess that's not how Quidditch goes though, because they do say that um, Harry was unconscious for the last game of last year's season, so they had the worst defeat, Gryffindor had the worst defeat that they have seen in 300 years. So I'm assuming they do not have substitute players, but I also wonder, I mean, the school's pretty big. They have a lot of kids and, and Quidditch seems to be so popular. Why don't they have backups? It seems like every position should at least have one backup player for situations like this. It's a magical school. People get hurt. People get expelled. Things go wrong. Plan ahead. Maybe that goes back to the wizards not having logic kind of thing. Just make Hermione the team captain, she'll sort it all out. Speaking of Hermione though, Ron and Hermione do come to watch the practice for some reason. I kind of understand Ron, but other than Hermione just being bored or wanting to support Harry, I don't see why she would go because she doesn't seem to be all like, ooh, raw quidditch. But I'm also curious, why didn't Ron try out 
for the Quidditch team since he loves it so much and he's like practicing up on the hill with his brothers. I I don't know, that's kind of confusing. He seemed to be so like gung-ho for Quidditch, so unless he has like a broom shortage issue or a broom sharing issue with his brothers, I don't see why he didn't try to get on the team. Or maybe it's a situation where other people have to voluntarily leave? I don't know, it's weird. Like it's also really weird to me that Gryffindor has a fifth year, or at least last year he was a fifth year, as the team captain when surely there are sixth and seventh years playing Quidditch too, right? It just seems kind of odd, and even with the prefect situation in Percy, he was apparently in his sixth year at Hogwarts, so a junior for us Americans, and this is his senior year, but then why would he be a prefect two years in a row? Shouldn't it just be the most upperclassmen that get to do that? I don't know, that's how we do it in the United States, so again, it's really strange, but uh, Wood has made a new training program that he has spent all summer working on, and he has signed out the Quidditch field so that it's just Gryffindor practicing these brand new super secret squirrel techniques, but then Snape signs a permission form allowing the Slytherin team on the reserve field because they need to train their new seeker. And their new seeker is none other than Draco Malfoy. And it turns out that Lucius Malfoy, Draco's father, bought the Slytherin team all brand new shiny Nimbus 2001s. So, I mean, considering they don't have backup players in Quidditch, it's kind of odd. So, I mean, I guess Lucius just went, my son's going to be the seeker and I'll buy you like $20,000 in new brooms. I don't I don't know the equivalency exchange here, but I assume it's a lot if uh, the whole team got new brooms and Malfoy got on the team because of it. And the comment is made by the Slytherin team captain, and shoot, I didn't write down his name, but I think it was Flint? But he says that the Nimbus 2001 is much better than the 2000, and the clean sweep fives that Fred and George use are just going to be pathetic against it. And that leads me to another curious moment here. I mean, this is all a situation of the Malfoys throwing their wealth around, but Harry has money too. Could not he buy his entire team brand new brooms if he wanted to? And I know theoretically he shouldn't have to, or he shouldn't have to feel like he has to buy his way on the team or, or buy people into liking him. But it's just, it, it seems really odd that several times now in this book, money is an issue for other people surrounding Harry, and Harry just puts his head down when he has plenty to spare, you know? He could say, oh, you know, maybe I could help chip in and make this happen. And I don't know, maybe he doesn't want people, like, running to him for money or pretending to be his friend when they don't really like him, but they, they keep fixating on how much gold that Harry has to his name. So I don't see why, you know, he... he He's just sort of so smoggy and hoardy with it, and he doesn't want to share at all. Anyways, though, the Slytherin and the Gryffindor team are kind of getting into it, and Ron and Hermione march over, and Hermione has one of those slick comebacks to throw out at Draco. So Draco calls Hermione a filthy little mudblood, and that just sends everybody like, oh, did he really just do that? And the whole Gryffindor team is getting upset, and even Ron, who is questionable on how much he likes Hermione, just pulls out his wand and threatens threatens Draco with it, but when he tries to curse Draco, he ends up hitting himself instead and just burping up 
an endless array of slugs. It, it's quite disgusting sounding. And the slug belching thing is supposed to be a curse, but the book doesn't say that Ron said anything. If they have to say something like Wingardian Leviosa to make things levitate, then shouldn't he have needed to say something to make this curse happen? Or did he not intend to make that happen? And that was kind of the point that the wand was broken, so it did as it pleased. Uh, but it seemed like it was intentional. And I don't know. It's, uh, it's curious. I would have expected the Latin word for slug to pop up or something. I don't know. But once Ron is down for the count, uh, he and Hermione take Ron over to Hagrid's hut where they run past Lockhart and they all kind of duck and hide from him. And Lockhart is with Hagrid giving him unsolicited advice on how to take care of animals. And of course, Hagrid is too polite to say anything to Lockhart's face, but once he leaves and the kids come into his hut, he's like, yeah, I uh, really don't believe anything that he did is true or accurate. I think he's making it all up for attention kind of a thing. So I'm pretty sure now that two different characters have uh, thrown that out there, it's going to be an established fact later in the book. And apparently Lockhart was the only one to apply for the Defense Against the Dark Arts position and that it's getting harder and harder to find people to apply for it because the position seems to be jinxed in some way because no one can last in it for very long. Which would make me also think why would somebody as egocentric as Gilderoy Lockhart want to apply for Defense Against the Dark Arts? Because, I mean, yeah, status-wise, that makes him look like, oh, so heroic and all that, but if it truly is some kind of cursed position, then I, I don't see him trying to ever endanger himself. So it just seems like a, a really strange thing to choose to do. Oh, and while he is vomiting up slugs, Ron is so disgusted by the term mudblood that he manages to explain what it is while puking slugs out. So mudblood is a foul thing to call a muggle-born wizard, which if the context is a little fuzzy for you or you don't really read the books, you're just watching me, thank you. But this would be somebody like Hermione, who both of her parents are dentists. They are not wizards. They are not magical. She does not seem to be from any kind of magical lineage. So if you wanted to really insult her and get under her skin, you would call her a mudblood. It, it almost is upsetting, though, because Ron explains what a mudblood is, but Hermione didn't even know. And maybe she could have gone, like, happily ever after not knowing. I mean, obviously she knew by the reaction that it wasn't a good or nice thing to say, but did she really need the nitty-gritty details? I mean, I guess that's for our sake because Hermione is also an outsider, so that gives a reason for that word to be explained. But then again, Harry didn't know what it meant either, so I don't know. I, I don't know if explaining it to Hermione does more damage than good for her self-esteem. I worry about her. And Ron also says, which is kind of a curious thing to say, if we hadn't married muggles, we'd have died out. And that's referring to all the wizards and trying to have this idea of purebred wizards who are from two wizard parents and how that's not really possible or feasible because they would have, you know, eventually narrowed down that gene pool until there was nobody left to breed with. We'd end up having cousins with cousins and sisters with brothers. It would get very Game of Thronesy pretty quick. And Hagrid does mention in passing that Ginny was searching around his house and he thinks it was because she wanted to accidentally stumble into Harry. 
But it's time to leave Hagrid. The kids are starving. Ron is still kind of belching up slugs, but it's it's really tapering off. It's not as crazy as it was. And McGarnagle shows up and says, Ron, your detention is going to be with Mr. Filch to polish silver in the trophy room and you can't use magic. And Harry, you get to go with Gilderoy Lockhart and answer his fan mail, which is probably the best slash worst punishment Harry could get. And I wonder if Lockhart asked for him to serve that detention duty answering fan mail because of what Hagrid said. Because Hagrid, I guess, was getting irritated with Lockhart. And he told this narcissistic maniac that, well, Harry's more famous than he'll ever be. And I wonder if that just kind of set Lockhart off. So he was like, I'm going to have Potter answer my fan mail so he can see who the alpha dog is. I feel like that would be in in line with his personality, but um, I don't know how long ago he requested said detention. But while Harry is answering fan mail and the time is just trudging on, he suddenly hears a voice that Lockhart doesn't hear. And the voice says, come, come to me. Let me rip you. Let me tear you. Let me kill you. So I have an inkling that we have gotten our first little hint of where Voldemort's going to come in for this book. Which honestly, I was starting to forget that he was a character because so many other things are going on. But yes, this was a pretty interesting chapter. I think we've we've gotten a lot of different things going on. We've gotten some more insight into the wizarding world. We've gotten some more insight for how um, some of these teachers are behaviorally. And I do like knowing what I know with how the movies work out and assuming that the books work out in at least a similar fashion. I was kind of happy to see that Ron has his father's sense of I love muggles and he was very defensive of Hermione and of wizard muggle relationships and things like that. Like it it wasn't beneath him for, oh gosh, I don't think biracial would be the right word, but by magical? Something or other like that. But yeah, it was really interesting to see that Ron kind of puffs up at the whole idea of insulting muggles, just like Arthur did. So now there's more of this protective feeling around Hermione and her family and, you know, anybody else in Hogwarts who is not 27th generation wizard, however that would go. And I do also like that Jenny is going around kind of in her curiosity, searching for where Harry goes and what he's doing. It's a bit of a stalkery vibe. Like if she were older than him or his same age, I, I don't think it, it would play off the same way. But being younger than him and kind of, or at least how I envision her, I suppose, is just this smaller, cutesy, sweet, almost like a kindergartner when you go to an elementary school. You know, you see the fifth graders and they're all like, whoa, giant kids about to hit puberty. And then you see the little baby kindergartners with their backpacks and it's like, oh, look how sweet. I don't know why, but that's kind of how I see Ginny is like this cute little baby running around in this magical minefield. But uh, it does show that she's getting a little bit more ballsy in in how she likes Harry. Like she's not going to come out and be like, oh, I want to be your friend or oh, I like like you. But she's she's kind of trying to position herself to be better noticed by Harry. And in a way that's not going to annoy him like poor Colin Creevy, which may I say that kid has done nothing wrong. He looks up to Harry. He respects Harry. He is just so enthralled with everything that Harry is. And it, it kind of annoys me how annoyed Harry is with this kid. Like he's sweet. He's excited to be there. He's excited just to know you. And you just saying hi to him several times a day makes his day. And 
Is it annoying for an older kid to have to deal with a younger kid? I mean, yeah, I can see that. But Harry's also this kid who has always complained that, oh, I've never had friends. Oh, I, I've always been alone. Nobody likes me. I don't get along with anybody. And now here are people just like clamoring to get to know him. And he's just kind of like, ugh. So I, I, I have to say I have liked Harry better in this book than I did in the first book. But he is still not my favorite by leaps and bounds. Like, I, I just see so much arrogance in him, even when he's trying to pretend he doesn't have any. But those are just my thoughts, and uh, I guess we will call this a day and leave you guys to wait for the next chapter. Anyways, thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Well, family members, we're almost done, but I want to invite you to hang out with me in some other places. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as my own personal self. And I have a Facebook page too, but I mostly just post photos over there. And sometimes people say, hey, McGann, I want to mail you something. How do I do that? Easy. Just click the about tab on my channel page and my most current PO box info will be right there. I also run another channel, The Family. It's really a hodgepodge channel where we might post anything. Oh yeah, and I also sell shirts and stickers and stuff with the family and the fangirl logos. If that is your cup of tea, I have a link in every description of every video. Finally, if you want to help out the fangirl channel and make sure I'm putting out video essays for years to come, the best way you can help is by subscribing and watching more of my videos, whether they're new, old, whatever. Maybe even share one or two on social media, help spread the word. People who watch to the end of videos like you helps to tell the site, hey, this is a good video. We should recommend it to other people. So if you made it this far, leave me a comment of something like, hey, I made it to the end. Love ya. See you next time, family members. Bye.